Well, the last time that uh, we gathered together, we took a look at Matthew chapter 7. So this morning we are going to go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 8. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there, Matthew chapter 8. And we've been going verse by verse through the book of Matthew for several Sundays now. And uh, most recently, we've spent some time going over the words that Jesus spoke up on the mountain that we today we call the Mount of Beatitudes. And we've been able to learn so very much about just how Jesus wants us to live as his disciples here on this earth. So, and as we come into chapter 8 here, we see um, beginning in verse 1 that it says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So, so the scene is set here for us. We can picture in our mind's eye here that now that Jesus has come down the mountain after a very in-depth teaching that he gave, And there's now a very large crowd of people that are following him around. And the reason that they were following him was because of the power of the words that he had spoken to them. If you would uh, just quickly look back at the end of chapter 7 here in Matthew, you'll see in verses 28 and 29 that it says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes it says so jesus spoke with power and he spoke with authority something that they were not used to hearing from teachers in their day or at least not in the way that jesus had spoke to them with such power and if today you and i profess to be followers of jesus then we need to make sure that We live our lives in a manner that displays that we too are disciples of His. There is a big difference between just professing to believe in Jesus and actually desiring to follow in His steps and to live out what He said. It is important that there is the reality in our lives of His words having an impact on how we live our lives from day to day. So what I'm going to do here is I'm I'm going to pause and I'm just going to deviate just for a few moments here and just expound a little bit with you on the topic of the importance of the Word of God in our lives, How just how important it is that we know the Word of God, that we study it, that we read it. So go ahead and, and mark this page and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's toward the back of your Bible. Again, uh, all the books that begin with the letter T are all clustered together there. So if you find one book that begins with the letter T, uh, you'll be able to find 1 Thessalonians. We're looking for 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you look down and we start reading in verse 10, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God 
who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God who, um, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So, We know that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to a group of believers in Thessalonica, he had a purpose in writing what he's writing. And he speaks of himself here and others apostles of Jesus that first of all lived devout lives themselves. But they also exhorted and comforted and were leaders in the lives of other believers as well. And Paul is exhorting them that they should walk worthy of God as the people of his kingdom. But what I really want you to see here is what Paul says in verse 13. And and that is that the words of the apostles are not merely the words of men, but were in truth the very Word of God. And today we have the writings of the apostles in the New Testament of our Bibles, that is the written Word of God. So we too have the Word of God revealing the will of God for our lives, written down for us to learn from and also to take heed to and to live out, right? This is the very Word of God. And that's what Paul's telling them here. You receive this, you receive what's written here, or you receive what Paul is saying as if it's the very Word of God. Okay? Now, it's not only the New Testament that we learn how God wants us to live from, right? but also in the Old Testament as well. There's much to learn. I'll give you just one example here. Go ahead and turn now and find the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 19. Psalm 19. So around the middle of your Bible... You'll find the book of Psalms, and you're looking for Psalm chapter 19. It's a very long chapter, the longest chapter in the book of Psalms. Again, we're talking about the importance of the Word of God, and the reason I'm taking you here is because, again, we see Jesus coming down this mountain after having just spoke many words to people that were following Him, to His disciples, and they were all astonished at His words. And I'm telling you that today we still need to be astonished at the Word of God. We need to let the Word of God have that kind of impact in our lives that it cuts deep within us, that it changes us, that we're not just hypocrites who profess Christianity, but rather we're believers, disciples of Jesus Christ that do what he says, that, do, that, do, that actually do what the Word of God tells us to do. So here in Psalm 19, verse 7, I'm going to start reading there. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul." The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So we see two things there in verse 7. That the word of the Lord, or what David, the psalmist here, calls the law of the Lord, what it does in our lives as mankind today. For one, we see that it converts the soul, which is another reason that I stress the importance of the word of God. 
that even if you are to share your faith with someone else, you want to tell someone else about Jesus Christ, well, then you need to do so using the Word of God because the Word of God has the power to convert the soul. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, the gospel, the very word of God can lead people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And without being converted, without being what Jesus called being born again, born of the spirit, well, then a person is spiritually dead in their sins and trespasses. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again, right? Because people were were dead in our sins and trespasses. We're separated from God. But the Word of God changes that in our lives. It has the power to change that. We are ignorant, though, without the Word of God, without the power of the Spirit. We're ignorant to the will of God for our lives, ignorant to His plan for us. And we also see here in verse 7 that the Word of God, the law of the Lord, gives us wisdom, it says. And we need wisdom. We need wisdom to understand God's will for our lives. Wisdom takes us, if you, if, if you don't already do so, I really suggest you make it a practice in your life to read the book of Proverbs every month. Uh, there's 31 days in a month, 30 days in a month, but there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. If you read a proverb a day and you do that for 12 months, you'll continue to grow in wisdom, and that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. But then verse 8 here in Psalm uh, 119. Are we in Psalm 119? Or we're in Psalm 19, right? You're following along here? Am I right? Okay. I I, I wanted to make sure I didn't give you the wrong place there. Verse 8 says, the statutes of the Lord are right. Is that where you are? Okay, good. So verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, do you see the word statutes there in verse 8? That simply means it's an appointed mandate from God. That's what that word means, an appointed mandate from God. In other words, God is saying, you know, that if we get, you know, that we're, we're to get in agreement with the word of God. What it says, this is a mandate of God. And if we get in agreement with the word of God and we line our lives up with it, then we will have joy in our hearts. We will be rejoicing. That's the promise from the word of God. God's mandates are good. He is our heavenly father who alone knows what is and what is not good and proper for our lives here on this earth. It also says here in verse eight that his commandments are pure. That word pure there in the original um, Hebrew is a word that means clean and clear, right? When we study the Word of God, we take time to dig deep into it, then we become enlightened, right? We, We start to see things differently than we did before our souls were converted. Our eyes become open to things, And that's the power of the Word of God as well. It opens our eyes to truth that we never understood. And we may have grew up our whole lives being taught one thing or the other, you know, that we may, when we study the Word of God and we read the Word of God, we say, well, this is what I thought my whole life. This is what I was raised to believe. But as I look at the Word of God, it's different. Well, what do we do? 
Do we follow the mandates of God? Or do we stick with what we were brought up with? And well, we have to follow the mandates of God. That's the power, that's, that's the choice we have to make. Verse 9 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now that, now that word fear there speaks of reverence, right? Being devoted to the Lord in a pure and a holy manner. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to be reverent. You know, a lot of people have asked me about that word fear. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Because we think of fear today in a very different way because this world has twisted our minds for the wrong kind of fear. You know, fear is something, you know, like an evil movie or a monster or whatever, you know, people are raised up with the fear of. But fear here is a word that means reverence. Now, there's a good kind of fear. I'll explain it like this. If I'm walking down the street and there's a pit bull 100 yards up I see or 50 yards up I see, I have a fear of that pit bull. I'm going to go the other way. Now, if you're a pit bull lover, I know you don't like me speaking of pit bulls this way, but I'm just saying I would have a a fear of that. But that's a reverence, too. In other words, I respect the power of that, that dog. I respect that he might not be a nice dog. So I'm just, in wisdom, I'm going to go the other way. With wisdom, I'm going to go the other way. So when I fear the Lord, when I reverence the Lord, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to respect him. I'm going to do what he says for me to do. Okay? And then it goes, and he's worthy of all of our reverence. He's all powerful, all knowing. He's the everlasting God. If you don't take time to think about it, you should. You should take time to think about the power of God. You know, to the, David also says, you know, when he considers the, the handiwork of the Lord, you know, and, and I. I see this myself when I, I look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, you know. Really the night sky, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. The, the stars and the moon just have always amazed me. I don't know why, but ever since I was a child, they've always amazed me. And I say, there's a God. Who is this God? I want to know this God, this all-powerful God that, that created all that is. I want to know Him. So He's worthy of our reverence. And then that verse 9 continues and says, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It says, more to be desired are they than gold. You think about that? How Gold, gold represents wealth, right? And in our society today, it's the, 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 the dollar bill, the $20 bill, the $100 bill, whatever it is, right? What do we focus our time on? What are we focusing our efforts on? See, when we, when we chase after the riches of this world, when we chase after the things of this world, it, it just pierces us us through. It steers, it steals our our joy, it steals our peace from us, right? It robs us of these things. But this says that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. How much do we care about the judgments of the Lord? What he says. You know, what he says is right. Again, not what our upbringing says, not what our political bent says, whatever it is. What does the law of the Lord say? What does the, the word of God say? And is that something we desire more than we desire all the wealth of the world, right? Yea, it says, yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. 
So the Word of God can do that in our lives. It can warn us, hey, this is not the way to live. This is not the way to go. This is the way to live. This is the way to go. Right? Everyone else all around you may be saying, hey, go this way. Hey, this seems right. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Sometimes things look good. A path, a direction in life looks good. This seems right. But when we hold it up to the light of the Word of God, we, and we keep what the Word of God says, it says there that there is great reward, right? And we can't cover all of the benefits of the Word of God this morning, but I just wanted to point out a few things to you here this morning and exhort you this morning in regards to the Word of God to make sure that you are taking the time to read it and to learn from the Bible, the written Word of God. You know, it, it truly is the Word of God. So again, these people, we can go ahead and flip back to Matthew chapter 8 now. They come down. Jesus comes down out of the mountain. A multitude of people are following Him. And again, they're following Him because the power of His Word, uh, the power of the words that He spoke to them, um, they were astonished by the power of His spoken words. And again, if today, if we take the time to focus on the Word of God as we should as disciples of Jesus, we will be astonished by its power as well. And then moving on now in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, And behold, a leper came down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, again, picture this scene here. This man is worshipping Jesus as he comes up and he speaks to Jesus. It says he's worshiping him, right? He's not just approaching Jesus as if Jesus is just an ordinary man here. He's approaching Jesus in a reverent manner. Fear, fearful, like a fear in a good sense, the reverent sense, right? And he's worshiping him. And this man has this awful disease, which at this time, this disease had, it was incurable. It was an incurable disease. This man, according to the Jewish law of that day, was considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean because of this disease. And he had to avoid everyone, and everyone was to avoid him. And he comes to Jesus, and you can imagine maybe how all the others that are following Jesus, remember, there's a multitude of people around, right? And all of them that were probably following Jesus around sees this man come up with leprosy. What do you think they do? They probably back up, right, as he approaches Jesus. You know, oh, get that man out of here. Get him, he's unclean. You know, get him away from here, right? But Jesus accepts him and Jesus Jesus confronts him, right? But this man, as he worships Jesus, he knows that Jesus has the power to heal him. And at the end of verse 2 there, he says to Jesus, you can make me clean. This is a statement of faith from this man in who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus has this power. He knows that Jesus is able. But it's important to see here that the man also recognizes Jesus had to be willing to do so. You see, we must keep in mind that just because something is our desire This does not mean that it is God's will. 
And sometimes that's hard for us to accept. We think, why isn't this your will, God? Why wouldn't this be your will? Okay, but you know, I often quote these verses to you from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. And I'm not going to have you turn there right now, but make a note, a mental note if you would, to go read them later. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Again, I quote this a lot. But it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. It's important that we learn this and know this. He says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Because oftentimes we fall into that trap where we say, "Why? what's wrong with this, God? Why can't I have this? Why can't this be done? Whatever. Well, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Okay. He says, for as the heavens, verse 9 of Isaiah 55, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, God knows what we do not know. And He sees what we do not see. We tend to just, man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. That's what God's seeing. He knows the end from the beginning. Okay, We are finite in all of our ways. He is infinite in all of His ways. We want what we want based on what we see and what we know, but if our lives are truly submitted to His will being done, then we must realize that that automatically means that our will is to be subordinate to His will. Our desires should be what He desires for us if we are truly calling Him Lord. Do we understand what it means to call Him Lord? He's our Master. He's the one that's in control. We are submitting to His will. We are in a heartfelt way from the depths of our heart to trust in Him, right? And to say, not my will, Lord, but Your will be done. So as this man with leprosy worships Jesus and seeks Him for healing, he does so from the right frame of mind by first saying here to the Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We know for sure that this man would love to be rid of this awful disease. Of course he would, right? But knowing that that the power of God was standing before him in the form of Jesus Christ, this man humbles himself in the sight of the Lord. And did not Jesus even teach us to pray in this manner when he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? This is the heart that God wants for us to have, a heart that is submitted to His will for our lives. Over and over again, we see throughout the pages of Scripture that our lives are to be in submission to the will of God. And come what may, whether we deem it good or whether we deem it bad, right? In the book of Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things. But remember, when we're seeing that all things work together for good, we have to understand our thoughts are not His thoughts. Our ways are not His ways, right? His ways are much higher than ours. And you see, we all want our lives to have some sort of purpose, don't we? Well, all things work together for good for those who love God. 
and are called according to His purpose. So the question for us is, what purpose do we want worked out in our lives? Our purpose, our will, or God's purposes for our lives and His will? If we seek to live within His will, then we can know for sure that all things will work together for good, even if we don't see it as such at the moment. Even if we have a sickness that ends up leading to our death, right? Even in this, we are victorious because we've been born of the Spirit. If we've placed our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then when that day comes that we're going to be absent from this body, we will, according to Scripture, be present with the Lord for all eternity. So death has no sting. Even that works together for good in our lives, right? Now, as we move on, starting in verse 3 of chapter 8 here of Matthew, we're going to see, uh, first of all, Jesus healing this man of leprosy. But we'll also see other healings and powerful works of Jesus that we're going to see pointed out here in Matthew chapter 8. But before we embark on verse uh, 3 here, I want you to jump down with me to verse 17 for a brief moment. Same chapter, chapter 8, verse 17. And I want to point something out to you, and that is the reason that Jesus is doing all that he's doing right here, right now. Verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Okay? So that's why Jesus is doing what he's doing here, what we're about to read about. Okay? So can Jesus, through the working of his Holy Spirit, still perform miracles on the earth today? Of course he can. The Word of God says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. But again, we need to be in submission to His will being done for our lives. This man in this chapter that we see with leprosy worshipped Jesus for who He was, not for what He could do for Him, but for who He was. He worshipped Jesus and He was submitting to this, His will. So we must understand that everything that God does has a purpose. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. All right, we were born, we will die. Nothing stays the same as it pertains to this temporary life that we live here on this earth. So whether we live in sickness or we have good health, the Lord is Lord. He's God most high. It doesn't change. He's all-powerful, and He's all-knowing. So, as we continue on now in verse 3, I just want you to keep all that in mind as we see Jesus doing what He's doing. Because sometimes we go through life and people can read the Scriptures and say, why isn't Jesus healing me? Why isn't God healing me of this or that right now? I've got this sickness. I've got this illness. I've had it my whole life. Why isn't this working in my life? Look, Jesus did it here. Well, He had a purpose in doing what he's doing. But going back up now to verse 3, it says, then Jesus, okay, so this man approaches Jesus with the leprosy, then Jesus puts out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So if it is the Lord's will, it will be done, right? Verse 4, and Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, 
and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So what Jesus may be saying to this guy here is, hey, don't stop to tell anyone what happened, but rather just quickly go straight to the priest and fulfill the law. Again, remember here that Jesus only spent three years. Sometimes it's hard to keep this in mind as we read of all that Jesus did, but he only spent three years really in his earthly ministry. From the time that John the Baptist baptized Jesus to the time of his death, burial, and resurrection was only a three-year period of time. So Jesus had a lot to show the world and, and a lot to show the religious leaders of that day. The law of Moses that these priests were supposed to carry out had certain ordinances when it came to the cleansing of the leper. And for the sake of time, I won't take you to those verses this morning that talk about that. I encourage you to research that on your own. But again, Jesus had a lot of work to do, and he's proving something, who he is. He's showing people who he is. He wants the religious people to know who he was. He wants the priests and and the scribes and the Pharisees, right, and the Sadducees, all these religious people. He wants them to know, this is who I am. This is my power. So he tells this guy, go. Go and show them and do what they want you to do, right? Verse 5, now when Jesus had entered... Capernaum, a centurion, came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So in these verses... Right? We see again the wonderful work of Jesus, the power, the power of Jesus. Right? Again, he's fulfilling prophecy. And he has this short window of time to come onto this earth and display his power to heal. And in the end of his time here on this earth, you know, he will, of course, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he opened a way for mankind to be healed of the greatest disease of all, the greatest sickness of all, which is sin that separates us from a loving and a holy God, a powerful God, a just God. And here in these verses, we see that a man can have a great faith in the Lord that knows that if Jesus would just speak the word, his servant would be healed. Again, we see a reverence for the power of the word of God. Remember, Jesus is the word made flesh. He's God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. And his spoken word is powerful. And we have it written in our Bibles. And this man just says, if you would just speak the word, 
And Jesus says, this is such great faith, right? This man was faith and love on display. Why, why love? Well, he's, he's coming to Jesus on behalf of his servant. He loves this person, whoever it was that was sick. He loves this person. So much so that he's going to Jesus for that person. And today we can, in love, go to Jesus in prayer for our loved ones. Be they sick, be they lost, in need of salvation. So this man was faith and love on display. It is a picture for us of how our faith needs to be based and rooted in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Right? So faith needs to be combined with love. Religion is nothing if there's not faith working through love. We are to love one another and to bear one another's burdens as we see this man doing here and approaching Jesus in this manner. And we see Jesus speaking of this man's faith. Right? And he says there in verse 11 that there will be many people coming to faith in Jesus all over, from all over the world. Jesus says from the east and the west, from all over, people will be coming to faith in Jesus. And Jesus is prophesying of that. At that point in time, that wasn't yet happening. And this, at this point in time, remember the, the gospel went first to the Jew and then it went to the Gentiles. And many of the Jews received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and many of them believed. Right? Remember, all of the first believers in Jesus were Jews. It wasn't until you read in Acts chapter 10 about a man named Cornelius, who was a, an Italian man, a Gentile. Peter, being a Jew, though he first was not very willing, he, he ultimately consented and he went to Cornelius' house and he preached the gospel there. And they received the gospel and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point in time, the gospel began to go out into all the world, not just to the Jews, but also to Gentiles. Remember, the word Gentile just means a non-Jew. From a biblical standpoint, that's all we have is Jews and Gentiles. You're either Jewish or you're a Gentile. Okay, So the gospel went out into all the world, right? and Jesus was prophesying of that here. right? The Jews, however, were the chosen people in that they were the ones to whom the gospel first went to. They were the ones to whom Jesus was born. Jesus was a, a Jew. But their religion did, at that time, many of them, of that religious faith, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, as many still do today. But not just Jews. Both Jews and Gentiles reject Jesus as Messiah. And anyone that rejects Jesus... Uh, will, as Jesus says in verse 12, they'll be cast out into outer darkness, right? Even though the Jews were the chosen ones, they were the sons, they were the original ones it came to, but many of them rejected. They didn't have this great faith that we see this man have here, okay? Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that there's only one name only one name given under heaven whereby men can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. The Bible does not say it is this religion that will get you saved. It is this denomination or that denomination or that non-denomination. 
It's none of that. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And one must come to faith in Jesus and be born of the Spirit and then live their lives as His disciples all the way till the day they die or He takes us out of here. This is what the Scripture teaches. Verse 14, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, He saw His wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and served him. So Peter, Peter's mother-in-law here goes from sickness to health. Then to what? Then to the service of Jesus. And you know, if we would look at sin as sickness, which by the way, sin is represented as you know, leprosy in the Bible, which for the sake of time, I'm not going to expound on that either this morning. But if we would just realize again that sin is a great sickness for, for mankind. It's the greatest enemy, right? That it separates us from a healthy relationship with the living God. And if we would come to Jesus and repent, He will, he will take away our sin and He will heal us and cause us to be made new by His Spirit then just as Peter's mother-in-law here, we can get up and go live the rest of our lives serving Jesus. Again, she goes from sickness to being healed to serving Jesus. Okay, And that should be a pattern in all of our lives. We're lost without Christ. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. We come to Jesus in repentance. He heals us. And then we go on to serve Him. It says in verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick. And this is the verse that I read earlier. Why is he doing all this? Why is all this taking place? What is Jesus showing here? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So again, there was a purpose to all that Jesus was doing while He was still walking on the earth back in that day. He was displaying who He was and displaying His power to do whatever He willed to do on the earth. So have you committed your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ today? Have you come to Him by faith asking him to forgive your sin, that you could be healed, right? If you have, you know, or you're like the centurion, maybe. Maybe you've come to Jesus yourself, but maybe you have a loved one that you need to bring to Jesus. Tell about him. Bring up in prayer before the Lord so that they can be healed. Like leprosy, sin will separate you from a loving God. Leprosy and sin both make you unclean, right? That is not pure in the eyes of God, but Jesus is able to heal. You see, remember, holiness and purity is what God requires of us. But we cannot attain to it on our own, right? No religious works we do, nothing can get us there, right? So Jesus shed His blood so that through faith in Him, we can be made clean. You can rest assured today that Jesus 
is willing that you would be made clean of your sin. But are you willing to repent and to worship Him and to serve Him with your life? We can't allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking that we can continue in sin and be in right standing with God because we can't. You know, I want to close today by having you look at just one more uh, passage of Scripture with me. I want you to go to the book of Titus. Uh, I should have had you find it earlier when you were in Thessalonians. Again, all the T's are together. Titus is a very small book toward the back of your Bible. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Of Titus, and we're going to start reading in verse 11. So, Titus 2:11, and we're going to read a couple verses actually. So, Titus 2:11, it says, "For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men." So that's what we're talking about here. Grace. What grace? The grace that offers salvation. To who? To all mankind. There's a grace that offers salvation to all mankind. But what does this grace do? It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. I encourage you to meditate on those scriptures there this week because if you are to be saved by grace, then you are to now live a life where you are denying ungodliness and worldly lust. And you are now to be living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age in accordance with the Word of God. Because in so doing, we have hope. We have this blessed hope that someday we will ever be with Jesus. And everything we need to know about life And godliness is contained in our Bibles, the written Word of God. So let's read it. Let's listen to it. However you get it into into you, and when you do, commit your life to it. You won't be perfect overnight. As a matter of fact, you know, if we all lived to be 120 years old, we never would arrive at perfection, but perfection is found in Jesus. And Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, and we are to fix our eyes on Him. And we are to commit our lives entirely to Him. Right? So we need to, first of all, come to faith in Jesus. And then, when we do, we need to stay the course of faith. Right? And Psalm 119 um, says, the the same psalm we looked at earlier, it says in there that, uh, uh, Thy word is a lamp, unto my feet and a light unto my path. We, we walk in darkness without the Word of God. 
Our eyes haven't been enlightened. Our eyes are not open to what the will of God is. We're walking in darkness without it. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I remember 32 years ago when I first got saved, I pictured like a flashlight strapped onto my shoes, you know, lighting my path. And that's what the word of God was as I walked through a dark world. 32 years later, I'm still in the same world. And it's probably gotten darker. It's probably gotten worse since then, right? But it's still the Word of God that's going to light our path and keep us on the, the path of righteousness for His name's sake. So we'll, we'll pick up the rest of Matthew uh, chapter 8 the next time we gather. But let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank You for Your Word again, God. Thank You again that... You've not left us here comfortless. You've not left us alone, Lord. You've not left us without instruction. You've not left us groping in the darkness, Lord. You've given us light, the light of your word, Lord, which reveals who you are and the truth about you, Lord, and, and, and your desire and your will for our lives, Lord. Today, many people reject the word of God because they love their sin, Jesus, you said people don't, they don't come to the light because they love their sin. They'd rather remain in their sin than to walk in the light. So, Lord, we pray that, that for those that we know, Lord, and for our own lives personally, Lord, that first of all, it starts with us, Lord, that we allow your word to change us, to, to pierce our hearts, Lord, and to... to correct us, to rebuke us where necessary, Lord. But we pray, Lord, that your word would have power on this earth still, Lord, that your word would be preached, Lord, throughout all the world. Continually, Lord, I pray for those that listen via the internet to the audio or the video recordings, Lord, that that they would find that place in their heart of surrendering their lives to you, Lord, committing their hearts wholly to you. So God, bless us as we go forward in the week, Lord. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Let your will be done, we pray. And we thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.